Uh, with that, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to be ver- looking at a big chunk this morning, uh, verses 21, 3, 21 through 4, 13. Uh, so again, that's Luke chapter 3, uh, 21 through chapter 4, verse 13. Um, as, as you're turning there, just so you know, we're making our way uh, this journey through the study of Luke, and uh, last week we, we looked at, at John the Baptist and, and his ministry, him coming on the scene uh, as was prophesied early in Luke and in the Gospels, of him being the forerunner, him coming and preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that the Messiah was soon going to be appearing, and, and how his call was uh, calling people to repent and be baptized and preparing their hearts, preparing the way of the Lord. And so today, we're transitioning away from John the Baptist to Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the one who John the Baptist said he was unworthy to uh, tie the sandals upon his feet, um, which was a big deal because John the Baptist was a big deal. And so um, we're going to read the passage today, and I'm going to intentionally skip the genealogy uh, because that would extend our reading uh, quite a bit more. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Eli. And again, I'm going to skip down to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that we have access to, to read it and to study it on our own, and, and we also have this uh, wonderful opportunity to gather together as your people to worship you in spirit and in truth and to, uh, to study and, and understand your word together. And so we do ask that uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would 
open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to receive your word, Lord, and I ask that you would open my uh, mouth to articulate your word clearly so that we can all be blessed by your word. And so we thank you and praise you and ask all these things. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right. Well, again, uh, as we, you know, we're picking up from last week, we recall this transition from John the Baptist proclaiming the coming kingdom of God, preparing the way of the Lord through repentance and baptism, and declaring that the Messiah was near. And now he has arrived. Jesus arrives on scene. And so as we look at today's uh, chunk of, of scripture, uh, I'm going to kind of break it up into three, three parts. Uh, part one is Jesus' baptism, part two is his genealogy, and then part three, which we're going to uh, spend most of our time on, is uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert. And so, but it is important to, to take pause and to, to look at the baptism of Jesus. I mean, goodness, I, I could spend a whole sermon on this, um, but that would cause us to, to not get out in a, in a timely manner uh, today. So I'll, do, uh, I'll condense it uh, for this morning. But it is important to kind of look at the significance of Jesus' baptism. And so for one, it's important to you know, look at some of the similarities, some of the similarities of Jesus being baptized with everybody else. You know, again, John was, um, he was calling people to repentance and saying, hey, come and be baptized. And we talked about it last week and how uh, this was kind of an affront to a lot of the religious people of the time because they're like, oh, we're Jews. We, we, only Gentiles need to be baptized. And uh, and so we would, you would think like, oh, well, if John is proclaiming this baptism in repentance of sins, well, then Jesus wouldn't need to be baptized because he was without sin. And yet Jesus, when he comes to John, we see in, in the other gospels that, that Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And John is like, you should be baptizing me. And we see that in Matthew's account, Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And again, you know, for us, you know, it's important to, to understand, you know, that Jesus was affirming John's word, John's proclamation of the need for repentance, repentance and baptism, uh, because Jesus was affirming and, and giving uh, credit to John as being a prophet, as being a prophet sent by God who was given a word from the Lord to preach and proclaim. And so by Jesus submitting to the, this word from the Lord, uh, he, is, he is showing those that are around the saying, hey, you know what John has been preaching is true. And we also know that Jesus, you know, he, he did not sin. He was obedient to the word of God, even to the point of death on the cross. And so part of that obedience was subjecting himself to the baptism of John the Baptist. And so we see, and as we know, you know, not only was that an important thing for Jesus to do in obedience, but it was all part of God's grand purpose and plan of using that, that humble time of obedience and baptism to make the declaration, this awesome occurrence of the heavens being opened up, you know, as Jesus was pr praying, you know, again, the showing a wonderful response, you know, for baptism and, and spending time of communion with the Lord is, is 
this whole heaven opening up was when Jesus was praying after his baptism. And so we don't know like how much time it's transpired, but what we do know from the other gospel accounts is it was, it was shortly after Jesus was baptized, and it was still while all the crowds were gathered around, the heavens were opened up, and we see, we hear the voice of the heavenly Father saying, this is my son in whom I am pleased, well pleased. And then we see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in, in the form of a dove. And I mean, man, like that would be such an incredible experience for, for those that were present. I mean, you know, talk about a way to affirm Jesus being who he claimed to be. There it was. And so again, I know um, some of the other Bible studies that have been going on have had a lot of fun kind of unpacking this more in a deeper level. And I definitely encourage you, uh, as you have time to to explore this, unpack it more, and and see, you know, this is a this is a huge reveal. This is a a big reveal. This is the declaration of Jesus' divine nature, and we see the clear view of the triune God at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in this moment to to really thrust forth the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so, you know, we see this, we see this awesome occurrence that's taking place in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels, this transition from John the Baptist declaring and and paving the way of the Lord, and then the Lord showing up on scene and starting his ministry. And you would think like, oh man, you know, we see that, you know, this awesome scene where, you know, the heavens are opened up, you, you hear God uh, word thundering and you know the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and you would, and Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit you would think all right Jesus is getting ready to go out on a crusade you know gather the crowds around to you know uh, proclaim uh, the gospel and yet we see that that's not what immediately happens we see that that Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. But before we get there, we have this wonderful, kind of seemingly parenthetical uh, statement by, uh, by Luke with Jesus' genealogy. Um, and before he launches into the genealogy, he says in verse 23, Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And, uh, I, you know, again, it's for a lot of us, we just kind of often overlook that, that Jesus was 30 years old, like, ah, what's the big deal? Like, 30 years, like, you're just kind of starting to figure things out here in our modern society by the time you're 30 years old. Um, I know I think about that uh, in my own life. You know, I thought I knew it all when I was 18. Then I learned in my 20s that, oh, man, my parents did know more than I gave them credit to. And, um, you know, by the time I was 30, I was, you know, finally starting to figure things out. Um, and as we recall, you know, Pastor Gunner, um, a couple weeks ago, he was really drawing on the focus of Jesus growing up. And as we call in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, and the child being Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That was before the, uh, the episode of Jesus uh, staying behind and being with the teachers and in the temple in Jerusalem and, you know, Mary and Joseph going back to find him and that, I won't rehash that whole thing, but it was, you know, it was like one of those aha moments. Uh, and at the end of that, we see in, 
verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so this, this time, this period of time was necessary and deemed appropriate by God to, for Jesus to grow and mature. Again, already having his divine nature, but his, um, his human nature needed that time to grow and mature. And, you know, again, our modern day, we, we look at 30 and we're like, oh, 30, that's, that's young. And, uh, you know, it is young. But back then, the age of 30, that was, you were considered a, a well-established adult by then. There was no, you know, weird adolescent years uh, that our modern society kind of muddles in. Uh, no, like the expectation, like you were an adult, usually by the time, you, uh, especially for the, uh, well, I would say that for the males and females, by the time you were 16, you were an adult. You had adult responsibilities. You were getting married. You were taking over, you know, family business. And so we also know that back then the life expectancy was a lot shorter. Now, part of that was due to the infant mortality rate being so low, but for the average male Jew, your life expectancy was right around 29 years old. And even, even not counting the infant mortality rate, most people only lived into their 50s or 60s. So like Jesus, by the age 30, he had experienced a full gambit of, of growth, of maturity, of temptation. Again, you know, preceding these uh, temptations by Satan in the wilderness. We, we know that scripture says that um, Jesus endured all types of temptation that were common to man. And so he endured those temptations of being, you know, a young child and a teenager dealing with annoying siblings, dealing with the submission to his parents' authority. Again, that we saw uh, his, his proper response to Mary and Joseph back in chapter 2. You know, dealing with the different temptations that we uh, that we've all uh, can remember, or uh, are going to be looking forward to. Maybe not looking forward to, but we will know we will deal with someday as as we grow up. You know, the, again, those different temptations from when you're a teenager, from when you're in your twenties, from you know. Uh, when you're older and dealing how to navigate with, with other adults that, you know, maybe not always agree with, with you. You know, Jesus did experience all of that and did so without sin. And so this, this time of preparation before Jesus started his, his ministry at age 30 was very important. And it's important for us to recognize as we see that Jesus joined us. He joined in our humanity so that when we look to him, we know that he is a God who loves us and who understands us, understands the struggles that we go through. Um, Matthew Henry's commentary uh, gives us a, a good glimpse of, you know, why this genealogy is important. Because again, you know, we, we kind of skipped over reading through it, um, and it's easy, you know, we can go to scripture and, and approach genealogies and be like, oh, what, why is that there? And, uh, and yet we know that nothing in Scripture is there by accident. Every bit of it has a purpose. And uh, yet some of it is a little tougher to wrestle through. And yet it is important to understand, and, and some of you may recognize if you uh, read through it and, and have studied it recently, you may be wondering, well, why is Luke's genealogy of Jesus different from Matthew's? And there are, there are some similarities. Both of them trace 
the genealogy back to King David. And uh, we know um, Matthew, uh, his list of the forefathers of Jesus showed that Christ was the son of Abraham in whom all the families of the earth are blessed and heir to the throne of David. But Luke shows that Jesus was the seed of the woman that should break the serpent's head and traces the line all the way up to Adam, beginning with Eli, the father, not of Joseph, but of Mary. And so again, that's what a lot of uh, uh, scholars uh, have come to agreement on is, is these, the discrepancies are, are showing that this was, uh, Luke was focused on, on tracing uh, the line back to, uh, back to Mary. And so, you know, this was important, you know, to, to show that, because uh, again, as we see in Luke, he says that people suppose that Jesus was the son of Joseph. And so, uh, which was a rop- uh, proper assumption uh, for those that were not familiar of the miraculous birth of Jesus. Um, and we will look at that impact of people assuming that Jesus was just a son of Joseph. We'll look at that. Actually, Brother John will be talking more about that uh, next week as, as Jesus uh, begins his ministry there and, and returns to Nazareth. Um, and so, you know, again, the importance of this is that we uh, recognize Jesus' human nature. You know, again, after the proclamation of his divine nature, uh, we have this pause, this intentional pause by Luke to focus in on Jesus' genealogy, on his age of beginning his ministry, so that we can be reminded of Jesus' solidarity with us, with all of uh, mankind. And, uh, and so then we see this transition uh, into the desert. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And, and I think that's important for us to kind of pause and, and recognize that, that a lot of times, and, and we'll, we'll circle back to this towards the end, a lot of times we view going through desert times as negative. And yet we see in Scripture time and time again, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God has a purpose. He sustains us through our desert times. And, and we wind up seeing his purpose revealed and, and being blessed by, by that desert experience, as tough as it is. See, we hear, or we see here that it's 40 days. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. And for those of us who uh, remember our journey through Genesis, um, and uh, especially, you know, as, as we look towards uh, a future uh, journey uh, through Exodus, we remember the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years. And so there's, there's those uh, parallels of Jesus spending time in the desert for 40 days with the people of Israel spending 40 years in uh, the desert. And some of those parallels are, are, you know, very intentional. You know, God, again, has a, has a purpose for why Jesus started off his ministry this way. It's to show, you know, just as Israel was considered God's children, Jesus is God's only begotten perfect son. And where Israel failed during their time in the desert, Jesus was faithful during his time in the desert. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see the account where the, the children of Israel were struggling and, and uh, you know, wondering how that they were going to be sustained in the desert. And God said, 
man shall not live by bread alone and provided them with the manna, manna that could only be uh, sustained by them uh, daily. It was a daily provision. We know that whenever they tried to gather the manna to store it, to kind of save up and not have to rely on the Lord for a daily provision, it was spoiled. And, uh, and so that um, they were taught during that time to rely not on bread alone, but on God, his word, his faithfulness, and his promise. We also see uh, that Israel was instructed to worship God alone, and we see that they, they were not, um, they, they failed at that. And uh, during their trials, during their times in the desert, we, we recall the time where they, um, you know, when Moses went up to, uh, to the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments, during that period, the people of, of Israel, they, are, you know, they gave all of their, their gold and, and had a golden calf erected that they would worship that instead of the God who had led them out of uh, Egypt, that had parted the Red Sea, that had done all these incredible, miraculous works, they, they turned and worshiped a golden calf. And yet we see that Jesus remained faithful and, and worshiped God alone. And then thirdly, we see that Israel was commanded not to put God to the test, and yet they did so time and time again. And in spite of their disobedience, God still lovingly um, provided for them and led them. But, you know, and we see that Jesus, uh, as we work through these, we see that he remained faithful. Another similarity is, is looking at Adam, again, we, we know from Scripture that Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. When we look at the temptations of the first Adam, there's some important contrast to see as, as what Adam went through when he was tempted uh, by the, the fruit and, and by the devil uh, in the garden at the very beginning in Genesis compared to Jesus facing temptation from the devil in the desert. Adam, when he was tempted, he wasn't tempted in the desert where he was in despair and desolate. He was in paradise. God had placed Adam and Eve in just the most pristine part of a beautiful creation. God had placed him there. I mean, talk about you know a, a time of, of just comfort and, and just being able to look out and see all of the beauty of God's creation. And you know, for many of us who you know, take time to get away and, and go camping. And we usually pick up an area where we can look out and see the beauty of God's creation, the diversity of animals, the diversity of plants, uh, the diversity of, of fruit. And, and usually, you know, we like to pick either a beach or a place that has a lake or a, or a river that we can fish in. We're reminded that we look out and we can thank, oh Lord, the beauty of your creation. That's what Adam and Eve were in when they were facing temptation. Jesus, on the other hand, he was in the desert. I mean, the diversity of what he dealt with was a tumbleweed, you know, rolling by. You know, occasional snake or scorpion, you know, greeting him in surprise. Like, it, it very, very different. And then secondly, we see that, you know, Adam, when he faced this temptation, he had Eve with him. He and he, he wasn't alone when he faced his temptation. He faced it with companionship. Whereas Jesus, on the other hand, when he faced temptation, he was alone by himself without any support other than the Lord and the Holy Spirit. 
And then thirdly, we see that when Adam and Eve were tempted, they were tempted by a fruit but they weren't hungry. They weren't in need. They had all of the other fruit and vegetables that God had blessed them with readily available. Like talk about like your, your favorite salad bar ready there on a you know, daily basis. Like that's what Adam and Eve got to enjoy while they went through their temptation. Jesus, on the other hand, he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And so that, you know, the, it's important to kind of look at these contrasts, these intentional contrasts to see that Adam and Eve, they fell into sin in the midst of the most comfortable and blessed of situations. And yet Jesus, in the midst of the most dire, desperate, lonely, starving experience, he remained faithful. And so even with these contrasts, it's important for us to kind of look in and focus in on each of these temptations uh, and, and how they differ from one another and how we can kind of look and see how each of us kind of face similar temptations in our own lives. So again, we see this first test, this first temptation when, uh, when the devil shows up. He's, he sees or he knows that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He knows that Jesus was hungry. I mean, I've, I've done some fasts over the years. And, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful discipline to spend time, you know, focusing in prayer. The Lord, it is a, a great time to, uh, as, as we deal with those hunger pains, it's a, it's a reminder for us to rely on the Lord for his provision. It's a reminder to, to turn us to prayer. And so um, we know that we, we're taught throughout Scripture that, that fasting is, is, a, is a wonderful discipline that we're encouraged to partake in. But 40 days, that's, uh, you know, we're not called to, to necessarily do a 40-day fast. We see that that, that was uh, unique for, for, uh, for Jesus, called to this 40 days. And, uh, man, I know I, I have not done a 40-day fast. Um, you know, if, if any of you have done a 40-day fast, well, then, man, I'd love to, love to hear about your experience. Um, but what I can do, say with confidence is, you know, after, you know, even after day one, day two, day, two, day three, certainly by day 10, oh, I'm struggling. Man, like the smell of bread, whew, like that's, that's brutal, um, let alone, you know, steak or, or something else like that. Um, and so, you know, this is Jesus. He's endured 40 days. Like by then, like, man, it's no longer just the smell of something sounding good. Like you're like, your body is 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 struggling. You're you're hurting. You're in need of that sustenance, and uh, so that is that is the place where Jesus was at uh, when Satan shows up and and uh, tempts him by by saying, "Oh, well, you know, just just turn these uh, stones into bread." And yet, it's important to see that the temptation of Je- Jesus turning stones into bread, like Jesus turning stones into bread, that wouldn't have been a sin if Jesus had uh, decided that that was. Uh, the right and appropriate thing. It's important to to look and see why this temptation would have, if Jesus had been uh, given into it, why it would have been sinful. And that's because the the motive behind G, uh, Satan's temptation, he says, if you are the son of God. And so here, Satan is challenging. You know, we recall again, uh, just prior to this, 
God the Father himself proclaiming through the heavens opening up, Jesus, you are my son, and you, and you I am well pleased. And again, we see the confirmation of the Holy Spirit descending upon him, filling him for his ministry. And yet this is the root of what Satan is attacking, is the identity and the truth of what God had said about who Jesus was. And so Jesus, again, if, if it hadn't been, you know, uh, you know, we see other places where Jesus does miracles that has to do with, um, you know, providing for others. And, and again, this, that wasn't the sinful thing. You know, he turned water into wine. He, he uh, multiplied the loaves and fishes. You know, again, it was that in and of itself was not the issue. The issue was this challenge to God's word being true and this challenge for Jesus to doubt and somehow prove himself by meeting a basic need. And yet we see that Jesus replies uh, in spite of dealing with his hunger, in spite of knowing like, oh, well, you know, uh, t- turning this stones into bread, it wouldn't really have been a bad thing. But he knows that it was contrary to what God had declared. It would have been a responding out of doubt and doubt of, of what God had said of who he was and doubt of God providing what Jesus needed. And so Jesus replies out of faith saying, quoting scripture, quoting Deuteronomy back to Satan saying, man does not live on bread alone. And then secondly, we see that uh, um, Jesus is, is taken uh, to, to a place where he's, he's given a glimpse of of all of the nations, of all of the uh, powers and authority, the, those that are reigning over these kingdoms of the earth. Um, again, we, we don't know exactly how this transpired, but we do know that, that it did transpire. And, uh, and we can see that and, and see like, oh man, how, like for us, it's, it's hard to grasp like, you know, the thought of like, oh man, you know, all all power and authority over all the nations of the earth. Like for some of us, it's like, no thanks. I don't want that responsibility. I'm, I'm struggling enough dealing with, you know, keeping my company together or keeping my family together, um, whatnot. But, you know, again, as, as we recognize the heart of Jesus, knowing, recognizing that, that he viewed the people of Israel, he viewed the entire world with love and with compassion. We see later on in in Jesus' ministry how his heart was grieved and broken over and over again because he knew the reality that there were going to be so many people that would reject him as the Messiah and so many people that here today still reject him as being the Messiah and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so it was not, you know, we can come to this and we can think that, uh, that this is a, you know, that the devil was tempting Jesus purely out of out of an allure to to power and prestige, and yet when we understand the character of Jesus, it's it's much deeper than that. You know, Satan was trying to pluck at his heartstrings of compassion and love for people, and understanding that there are going to be many that are that were going to be lost. And so the temptation for Jesus, because Jesus knew he knew what his mission was was it was to declare salvation, forgiveness of the sins, 
but ultimately that that would be fulfilled through him giving his life up on the cross. That was a weight that Jesus carried from the very beginning, knowing what his final destination during his earthly ministry would be. And so this temptation that the devil was offering was for Jesus to take the easy way out, knowing that God had already promised Jesus a kingdom without end. God had already, God is in control. Again, part of the lie that the devil was bringing was the devil said that he, that all the kingdoms of the earth belong to him. We know that that's not true. Yes, you know, God has given uh, the devil limited power uh, during this time of of human history, but we know that ultimately God is the one who is in control. He is on the throne. Only he had the power to grant these nations, these kingdoms to Jesus. And Jesus knew that that had already been promised to him. And yet the temptation in this was to go the easy way out to all it would have needed. All Jesus would have needed was to bow down to, to the devil and he wouldn't have had to go to the cross to be the leader, or at least that's what the temptation was. Again, we know that wasn't the case, but man, in that, in that broken time, knowing the full weight of what the price would be to go to the cross, and in that midst of, of being in a, in a very lonely, in a very uh, desperate hour of need, that temptation carried a lot of weight. And yet we see that Jesus responds and with, again, with God's word, resisting the devil with the word of God, with scripture. And then thirdly, we see this test that I would say is more about pride than the second temptation. We see that Jesus uses scripture to thwart uh, the devil's temptations in these first two. And so, you know, in the third temptation, the devil says, oh, okay, Jesus, you know your word, you know your scripture. How about this? How about I use some scripture to tempt you? And so we see that, uh, you know, this, this temptation that, uh, that the devil brings to Jesus, quoting scripture saying, hey, you know what? If you're the son of God, you know, throw yourself down from here and, uh, you know, God won't let anything happen to you. You know, angels will come and they will catch you. You know, God will protect you. And, you know, again, this is uh, when we look at the root of this, at the core, it's similar to the first temptation. You know, if Jesus had, had slipped and fallen or had, had, uh, had um, decided to jump at, a, at another time uh, without that temptation, absolutely. Like we see time and time again throughout the Gospels of, of you know, the people wanting to gather around to, to stone Jesus. And, and we see that God protected him. He managed to slip away from the crowds. You know, God's protection was there, um, but the temptation was, as we see, was prove yourself, prove that you are the Son of God. And, uh, and so we see that Jesus pierces through the intent decides, you know, like, I don't need to prove myself. God has already declared me to be the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus knew, had already had that affirmation of his divine nature. And yet we see that the devil was tempting him, tempting him at the core of his human nature. And so with these three tests, we see, you know, this test of, of human nature being at the, at the root of us, 
of our human physical needs. And then we also see the, the temptations that can come uh, to us even during our times of brokenness and compassion and a desire to do what is right, but the temptation to cut corners. And then thirdly, we see this temptation hitting at our pride, saying like, oh, well, you know, if you, if you are, you know, a, a godly person, you know, well, then prove it. And yet we see that Jesus pierces through this intent and replies, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, you know, again, we've looked at a big chunk of scripture today, and I hope that you, you know, as we've been working through it, that you've been able to see it like, oh man, yeah, that's true. I've, I've, been, I've been struggling in this area. Um, or man, I, I have some encouragement in this area. But I, I do want to draw out a few uh, points of application for us. You know, how does this apply to us? You know, First, I again want to look back at the baptism, seeing that, you know, again, for those of you who have not been baptized, I encourage you to, to prayerfully consider taking that step of faith, because we know, again, in the Great Commission, Jesus charges his disciples with going forth and making disciples, and one of the, one of the aspects of making disciples was baptizing them. And, and for some, you know, I've, I've I've heard a lot. It's like, well, you know, I don't need to be baptized to be a Christian. You know, I'm, a, I'm just a Christ follower. It's like, well, if baptism was important to Jesus, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can say, if we can say with uh, honesty and sincerity that it's, it, it shouldn't be important to us. And, uh, you know, again, it's that, that wonderful uh, invitation for us to join in the baptism of Jesus and making that declaration of of him being Lord of Lords and King of Kings and us being members of the body of Christ. Secondly, as I'd mentioned earlier, God sometimes leads us into the wilderness. And I think that goes so counter grain to um, our, modern, our modern culture, especially here in America, where we wanna avoid suffering and pain as much as possible. And even a lot of the church has, has, been, uh, has been deceived by the prosperity gospel that says, hey, you know, if you're walking with fa- in favor with the Lord, then, you know, you're going to have all the riches. You're not going to have any struggles. You're not going to have any suffering. And, oh, by the way, if, if you are going through a time of suffering, well, it must be because of sin or, you know, you must have made a mistake and you've fallen out of favor with the Lord. Like, that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we will go through difficult times. We will go through wilderness periods. And yet the, the beauty that we're taught through Scripture is that we don't go through it alone. Even when we are physically alone, God's Spirit is within us. He sustains us through those wilderness experiences. And that when we come out on the other side of it, we are, we are blessed. We are um, are grown, we are shown just a new aspect of his love, his grace, his mercy, his provision. We are changed. You know, a lot of transformation happens inside of us when we go through those wilderness experiences, just like Jesus did. And then thirdly, we look and we see that, hey, we shouldn't be surprised when we face temptation. Again, we see this, this passage shows that one of the enemies that we face, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the devil is real. The devil is real, but we don't need to be afraid of him. 
You know, again, this, this example that we're given is, is that Jesus, in the midst of being in a lonely, desperate, hungry space, he was able to resist the devil by using the word of God. And so that's, that's again, we see elsewhere in scripture, resist the devil and he must flee. How do we resist the devil? We resist him with scripture, with, with God's word, with knowing it and being able to apply that uh, when we're faced with temptation. But again, understanding that temptation comes to us from areas oftentimes, you know, again, the devil knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. He comes to us when we're, you know, on that, you know, walking on, you know, clouds to our times of being the, in the lowest of lows. He, he comes at us. He tempts us in the areas of struggle, you know, whether it's tempting us and, and not trusting in the Lord to provide for us when we're going through times of need. And again, that's a struggle that's real for a lot of us. And for most of us, I would say it's a struggle that if we're not dealing with now, we have dealt with at some time in our lives. And I know for me, you know, there was a time, you know, knowing that God had called uh, me to military chaplaincy, there was a time, you know, after seminary where, you know, we were struggling to make ends meet. I was serving uh, part-time as, as an associate pastor and doing um, IT work part-time. And uh, there was that temptation to, to say like, Lord, like I, I need to step away from the church to, to focus on providing for my family. And that temptation was real. That struggle was real. And yet the promise of the Lord that, hey, I will sustain you. I, this is where I've called you to. I will provide for you. And he did just a number of times where either people from church would say, hey, you know, the Lord just, you know, said that we, you know, put it on our hearts to, you know, to bless you during this time, or, you know, had, had opened up, you know, a, a bonus uh, opportunity uh, in the IT field for me to, you know, bring in a little bit of extra income. You know, those moments where God had provided uh, during those very um, dry times of physical provision. And then again, there's that temptation for us to cut corners, even for pursuing something that is good. To, the temptation is there to cut corners. And, and yet we know we're, we're given that example by Jesus that, hey, sacrificing our integrity, our character, our honesty and trust in God to do what is right and to honor us and bless us through that, temptation is there to cut corners, to, to take the easy route, to do what is even a good thing. We are, to, we are called to be people of integrity and to trust God, even when that road is going to be a little bit longer than what, the, what we had wanted, or it's going to be a little bit steeper, or there's going to be a little more hurdles along the way. We're called to be faithful and to trust the Lord to sustain us through that. And then thirdly, that temptation of, you know, our pride, you know, putting our pride in check. You know, it's a lot of times, you know, we can face different things like, oh, well, you know, if you're a Christian, da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, oh, well, you know, um, our call is to, is to not say, oh, well, you know, it's easy for us to say, I am a Christian, and uh, let me show you how, you know, it is to, you know, to be a Christian and to make, you know, godly uh, decisions. And yet we see, you know, our call is, is to be humble, to be humble like Jesus and, 
and to resist that temptation. And instead of responding in pride and ego, to respond with humility and that, that quiet spirit through scripture and trusting and, in, and calling people to that same humility to trust God because we know that if it wasn't for him, we would have nothing. We would be nothing. And so with that, I close with the, the fourth thing is, is the importance to rightly wield scripture. Again, the devil's crafty. And again, we see in the third temptation that, that he brings scripture to tempt Jesus. And I, you know, I grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal church where, you know, there's a lot of words from the Lord that would uh, come up and I would always say, hey, if your word of the Lord doesn't line up with the integrity of scripture, then that may not be a word from the Lord that is, that is coming to you right now. And, and so that the reality is we can face that in, in our own lives. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard somebody say, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, go off on this very unwise uh, decision, uh, whether it's a you know financial get quick scheme or you know you know wanting to say like oh well I'm gonna go and and do a triathlon without any physical preparation, and you know a verse that they love to quote I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and it's like well you're taking that out of context like we need to have a right understanding of God's word and that takes spending time in God's word, feasting on his word, spending time in Bible study, coming to church and, and listening to good preaching. And if you want to hear good preaching, come back next week. Uh, Brother John will be bringing the word. Um, and so, but we see that Jesus, he was able to respond rightly to the misuse of scripture by knowing the true meaning, by being deeply connected, be, deeply well-versed and understanding not just being able to quote scripture out of, out of context. We can all do that by saying, hey, Google, give me a good verse on such and such. But no, being good students, be, studying God's word, delighting to spend time in God's word so that we know it, so that when even brothers or sisters that are, are tempting us and using scripture out of context to, to tempt us to make bad decisions, we can humbly correct them and say, no, like, yes, you're, you're, you're looking at this scripture, but hey, let's understand it in the context and understand how it measures up, how you're using scripture. How does it measure against the full integrity of God's word? Again, understanding the spirit of the law and not just the letter of the law. And that's the example that, that Jesus gives us in his response to this third temptation. And, you know, again, when we, you know, look, spend some time looking at Psalm 119, Again, it's a big one. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I remember as a kid looking at it, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's big. That's, you know, we can skip over that one. Uh, but now I, I come to it, I'm in a, and it's beautiful, the repetition of delighting on God's word and meditating on it and spending day and, and, and desiring it, it being um, more, more desirous than, than precious gold and silver. Like that's the attitude that we need to have when it comes to, to knowing and understanding and applying God's word to our lives. And that is the example that Jesus gives to us. And so in closing, I, I want to read a, a quote from R.C. Sproul that kind of gives us a reminder, you know, of, of 
how this whole desert temptation experience, the reality of the behind the scenes. R.C. Sproul helps us, you know, again, it's important to, I encourage you to, as we study these, to look at the other gospel accounts and, and their relation to each other. And R.C. Sproul shows us that while Luke closes with the, with the devil departing from Jesus for a time later, again, coming back later, and that's a good reminder for us, R.C. Sproul says, in Matthew's account, we are told that after Satan left, the angels appeared and ministered to Christ. Jesus didn't have to jump off the temple. He didn't have to turn the stones into bread. As soon as he was victorious, God vindicated his word and sent help to his son. And so that's the reality. That, that is the encouragement that we are to take as we go through times of temptation. Is it behind the scenes, you know, no matter what we're going through, God is there. His presence is there and he will provide because he is faithful. He is loving God and he is with us, promises to never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for just the, the wonderful example that you gave to us when you came and took on a humble form to, and a humble birth, humble beginning, and yet we even see that part of your ministry was showing us how to live rightly, Lord, that you being the spotless lamb was only possible for you to face temptation that was common for us. And Lord, we know that you did so perfectly. And while we are imperfect, Lord, we are able to look at your example of, of how to come to you, how to be obedient, how to apply your word to be victorious in our own lives, the lives that you have called us to live as your people, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would sustain us, Lord, even as you did uh, your son, as you uh, walked the earth um, in flesh, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would sustain us as we go through uh, times of trial and temptation. Lord, I also ask that you would use us as, as brothers and sisters to be an encouragement, to sustain each other, Lord, uh, to encourage one another and to challenge one another when we are not walking rightly, Lord, that we would understand and, and apply your word to our lives and be a blessing to one another. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you and ask all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.